Sergio, if you like what we're doing here, if you support the show and you want to give support to the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash let's talk native. And if you do so, we'll provide you some exclusive content and some things that uh, others aren't going to get when you get it. So support us by going to Patreon. Yahweh. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Welcome to Let's Talk Native. I am John Kane. Um, look, we I want to talk about Martin Luther King because of Martin Luther King Day, uh, you know, uh, in, the, in the wake of Martin Luther King Day anyway. Uh, there, there, I don't know how often Native people, you know, get into the conversation about uh, about MLK and, uh, and what he represented and what history has done to him. Because this is part of, you know, what I, what I consider a bit of a whitewashing that uh, you know that happens with you know with, well, not just with historical figures but just playing with history, and it's amazing to me now when you hear people you know white people in particular talk about how beloved you know Martin Luther King was and, and everything else because he wasn't beloved by <laughs> by white people. I'm not saying all you know white people weren't hearing him; they were, and I'm not saying he didn't he he didn't move some of them, but when you look in retrospect, there's like this constant effort to like, um, you know, cast Martin Luther King as this, as this loving, peaceful protester who, you know, uh, who, who what just happened to get assassinated, assassinated. I mean, there's his message oftentimes gets watered down. There are certain speeches that, you know, you're going to hear over and over again. I have a dream speech. It sounds, it's, it's inspiring and, and all that and all that. But some of the, even the the pieces of that speech that um, that have kind of the in the, the edges to it, the one that says I might not get there, you know, and it, you know they they seem to get overshadowed by just idea this idea of having lofty dreams, but that wasn't look that's not his his that doesn't accurately define him one speech, you know he became very very active in the anti-war movement, you know, uh, condemning the, this, again, the in, military industrial complex. He was very outspoken about that. He was outspoken against the sins and the ills of capitalism. And of course he spoke about racism and, and not in just, you know, these plutonic terms either. I mean, he was, he was very outspoken about the, the cruel injustices that are caused by militarism, by capitalism and by racism. And, you know, and, and how would, I mean, he started the, you know, what we were st still a movement called or a, a re-energized uh, re movement called the, the Poor People's Campaign. He knew the, the, the violence of poverty and, you know, and how that poverty was, was you know, tied so closely to, uh, you know, to racism. And, 
And so he spoke out about these things, and his words were, were strong, and, and he called for action. He wasn't just, you know, he, he wasn't telling people to just get on their knees and pray. And, and I'm not, you know, people, whether anybody really says that or not. I mean, he, he, he identified what the, um, what, the, what the real problems were, that it wasn't just the extremes. It was the people in the middle. In fact, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to read a whole lot of Martin Luther King um, uh, quotes, but this is one that, frankly, I just used in a, in a letter that I sent off to um, uh, Cambridge Central School uh, Board of Education. Because of their their hesitancy to you know upset the community as they deal with the mascot issue and that kind of stuff. So, but let me um, let me read this one because it, it's pretty good and 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 it, and it speaks to um, what he really did condemn. And he says, "I first must confess that over the last few years, I have uh, been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion." That the Negro's stumbling, block, the, uh, the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride towards freedom is not the white citizens counselors or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace which is absent of tension to a positive peace which is is the presence of justice, who constantly. He says, I agree with you in the goals you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action. Who paternalistically feels he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. You know, we oftentimes hear this, you know, and, and look, uh, the... Um, Justice delayed is justice denied, uh, quote, is not his. But that's essentially the message. You keep putting off fixing what you know is wrong and and even goals that you're going to say you agree with. And this is kind of what I went through, what I'm still going through with with, the the school board of of my my old high school. It's clear that everybody agrees that that things have to change. uh, But can we do it so we don't cause tension? And... This is what, con- what, what Dr. King condemned. He condemned it because those people who would try to soften the blow of, you know, of, of, of change were delaying the change. And, and in, in, doing it, in, in doing so, you were prolonging the agony of people. And, and right along, the, uh, you know, along those lines, it's not just you know, a pain that, that we all suffer. Some people die at the hands of this stuff. And, and I think it's, it's really important that people understand that this is what, what, what Dr. King condemned. And I don't think it's a leap to suggest that he would be con- very condemning of the white moderate that exists today. And not just the white moderate, because let's face it, the white moderate has allies and they're people of color. We've seen, you know, so we, we've seen black people who've somehow risen to the level of white people. It doesn't mean that, that, that there's equality. It means that we've seen some, some black people who, you know, who, you know, who, who can uh, you know, sit, a, sit at the table with white people. And, but the, and they have that conversation that the white people want to have. And, and I'll say the same thing about Native people. I don't think that Dr. King would, would relish this idea of, you know, that, that, that Native people are embracing the American system or—, or <laughs> let alone enlisting at the levels that we've, you know, that we've always enlisted in the armed forces. 
I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, that, that King would condemn. Although the military industrial complex is, is more about the industry than it is about, you know, enlisting in the, in the services. But, but they, they need feet on the ground, boots on the ground, they say, right? And when it's people of color that are providing those boots on the ground, you got to wonder, you know, are, is, are, are King's messages resonating? So as I look at white moderates, Black moderates, native moderates, the the ones, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm including you know, people like Deb Hallin in, in this group. Whose bidding is going to be done here? Yeah, are, are we really giving power to, uh, you know, to the, again, to those, the, to the, the voices of the, the unheard? Are we really giving power to that? Or are we plucking people out of those, those groups to somehow soften the message? And that was Dr. King's concern. Look, when, when he's condemning capitalism, he's, he's condemning, you know, essentially a modern day version of slavery. Not just with consumerism, but the haves and the have nots between labor and management. Between, between labor, labor and ownership of, of, of all these corporations. Look, and when I hear people say today, well, but, you know, there's, uh, things are pretty equal. I mean, I had gotten into a discussion the other day with somebody who was su suggesting that women's equality has been achieved. By what measure? By what measure? You walk into the halls of Congress, you don't see 50% of uh, the, the people in, in the House or the Senate that are women. Half the population are women. You don't see women, you know, the average income of a woman uh, coming anywhere near the average income of, of a man. And yet you're still going to have people ins insist this. And, and, and maybe they're talking because they feel like they haven't achieved something as individuals. But inequality is a huge problem. And, and, and worse than, than the inequality that, that can be measured you know, across genders is the inequality that it becomes even you know, further uh, emphasized when, when you're talking about people of color. Because look, if you're if you're a woman and you're uh, and you're oppressed, if you're a black woman, you're more oppressed. If you're a, a woman and you're oppressed, if you're a native woman, you are more oppressed. I mean, sexual violence is still uh, look. Who are the victims of sexual violence? Children and women. I mean, uh, white white men aren't uh, are are rarely ever the, the victims of this kind of thing. They're very often the perpetrators, whether they're you know, wearing a clergy's outfit or, or, you know, or whether they, you know, are movie producers or, or politicians. But I think it's important when talking about Dr. King that we don't soften, you know, or, or whitewash. And I don't, I don't even say whitewash because although it's white people doing it, is soften his message. I mean, he was, he was a guy who was promoting radical change. He wasn't just the, he wasn't just preaching a, a kumbaya moment. I mean, the direct action that that he talked about, what, what were actions? They they weren't just sit-ins. I'm not saying that he, that he was you know call, you know calling for for armed insurrection, but he also knew that 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 peaceful protests weren't getting it done, not by themselves. And as he approached his last days. He knew the violence that was uh, that that was lurking for for anybody, and not just himself, but the violence that was that was lurking there there for anybody that was cha changing the status quo, which is what he was doing. Now, look, 
I know people you know like to you know put a timestamp specifically on, uh, on on Martin Luther King on, on when when he was saying the most broadly accepted kind of messages, the ones that talked about you know peace and love and um, you know and, and the and the long arc of morality. You know, and, and and having a dream. That's you know, people love that stuff. But he also understood that when people lash out, there's a reason they do it. I mean, his quote that that riot is the language of the unheard wasn't a call to riot as much as it was an understanding of why riots exist. Now, don't confuse what took place at the at the U.S. Capitol. With those were that riot was the language of the herd, and I mean H E R D, not the H E R D. That was that's a completely different, uh, you know, uh, different display of you know, um, uh, of action or violence or whatever else. And in and the fact that people want to compare, you know, the the, the quote unquote riots associated with the with the Black Lives Matter movement and and the the riot at the, uh, at, at the Capitol he, he clearly demonstrate the racial bias because whatever those protests in the street developed into, they began as, as a direct action against injustice, not, not a direct action against, you know, a conspiracy theory, or, or a loyalty to a specific individual. Sure, they, 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 they said her name. They said Breonna Taylor. They said George Floyd. They said Freddie Gray. They said all the names. But those people are gone. That's why they said their names. That's why they were on the street. And the fact that they were met with violence and violence bred more violence. And, and so when we talk about you know, the, the riots that were caused, we, we can debate who caused them. But there's no, there is no debate why those riots occurred in the first place, why those people were there. They were protesting injustice. Now, I understand that the mentality of those folks who, who, who stormed the Capitol last week believed, some of them, <laughs> that, that, that somehow the, Donald Trump's second term was stolen from him. But they were there under, uh, under the, the misguided belief that their leader was calling them there. Well, yeah, well, he was calling them, but that is that the leader that somehow they're going there was going to change the outcome. Well, people go down, you know, go to the street for a Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, rally or march or whatever else. It's demanding a change, not not supporting, you know, an, an authoritarian leader. Those things don't, don't even don't even compare. And, and and I think it's really important that that that, that people understand, especially when. Look, they they name a holiday after Martin Luther King, and the mainstream media, and you know, look, Dr. King was 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 a preacher. He was a, he was a reverend. So many people are going to try to you know use religion and you know and Jesus love and all kinds of other stuff to you know to to tailor King's message for their own agenda. And you know, and look, perhaps I'm doing a little of it myself, but I'm not going. I'm not going to soften his words. Look, you can find all kinds of uh, King speeches in, in text and in uh, you know in 
on videos, recordings. You know, you you can you can find and listen to them yourself. Listen to them yourselves. But don't just get hung up on on the most famous speeches. I mean, again, letters from Birmingham. That, and that's you know, that's 1963. That's not 68 when he when he was killed. But you also have to remember that he was killed. He was murdered, and and, and the circumstances surrounding that murder, you know, in terms of you know the debacle you know associated with with the you know with the investigation, and and everything leading up to it, there was there was an effort to silence uh, silence King as you know before before they finally did, and of course we could argue whether they really silenced him or not because is. Many of his words are still ringing. But I think it's really important that people understand that his message was not the, the soft tones that, uh, you know, that the overwhelming white majority will, will you know, attribute to them now. Look, and there's no question that there are still many white Americans who loathe Dr. King, who, you know, who... who just look for the opportunity to, you know, to, to slam or condemn him. I, I saw, you know, some of these ridiculous posts on, you know, on social media uh, well, today and uh, yesterday and, you know, leading up to, to the MLK day. And it's just, it's, it's just amazing how much hate and vitriol are still being directed towards, towards a man who was, who was killed that many years ago. And, and of course, it's not just directed towards him. It's a, it's directed towards Black Lives Matter. It's directed towards uh, towards you know people of color, regardless you know regardless of what 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 their actual voices are saying. You know the this this new guy who was just elected in uh, in Georgia is actually you know he's he's a reverend he's a he's a preacher in in the very church that uh, that MLK was uh, uh, that was his church, and. You know, again, that the hate that is coming from, you know, not just these Trumpers, but but many people on the right. You know, these these white supremacist groups, these you know, these this QAnon stuff. All, you know, look the the amount, uh, you know, of of just flat out lies that are that are that are you know put out there, uh, and and especially you know the thing that, that QAnon is so famous for is is the whole pedophilia thing. The first thing they're going to do to anybody that they want to condemn is call them, a, you know, call them a pedophile, and and accuse them, you know, groundlessly or otherwise, of you know of, of any kind of act, you know, uh, atrocious act with with a child, and you can plan, you you can see that on cue. I didn't mean that. That's a pun. But uh, no, it is, you know, and, and I've seen that the, all of those allegations being directed towards uh, towards MLK this week. That's the level of hate that still exists. And, and it's part of the reason that, that you have to believe that, that, that Dr. King spoke so strongly out against the moderates. Because it, it's the moderates who, you know, who, who, who allow this stuff. This is the complicity, right? This is the idea of, of, of being silent. And look, you are either a racist or an anti-racist. Because when, when people say, oh, I'm not racist... That's if you you dig into that with almost anybody, and, and they throw the whole oh I've got a black friend or you know or you know I'm part this or I'm part that or something like that. When you dig into it 
and and you the most of you who say that I'm not a racist are they're certainly not anti-racist because they won't stand up to racism and if you're not standing up to racism if you're not standing up against racism then you are complicit with racism and so let's let's not pull any punches on this one here and and racism you know it, it, when people call racism uh, America's original sin. I think that's accurate. You know, I, I, I'm sometimes a little troubled when they say, um, slavery was America's original sin. No racism was because racism is what was, would lie at the foundation of both genocide of, of native people, um, slavery, both native, native people who are enslaved and, uh, and, and black people who are enslaved. The idea of building an entire industry, I mean, think about this thing. <laughs> Dr. King is talking about, you know, the, uh, capitalism a hundred years after slavery was supposed to have ended. But a uh, hundred years prior to, to his, uh, you know, his words about capitalism, one of the, the biggest, or, or the, you know, what, what essentially equal the largest assets, industrial assets of the United States was, the, was human slavery. Human beings, you know, if you measured the wealth of a, of a, of a farmer, a plantation owner, uh, you know, whatever, you know, uh, those who are affluent, the, the industry of slavery, the buying and selling, the breeding of, in captivity of, uh, you know, of slaves was, was one of the biggest industries in the United States in the 1860s. And that just didn't switch off. At when, when, when slavery was made illegal. No. Every opportunity that, that a free black person strove for and, and, and attained came with a tremendous cost. And oftentimes, not, not only were the, were the obstacles incredible to achieve any success, but that success would be stripped away anyway, whether you're talking about Tulsa. And look, every major city in the United States most major cities in the United States in that period of time at the turn of the century had experienced what, what many will call race riots, but they were massacres. I mean, so when you come at the heels of native people being massacred, the, the, the last one, you know, acknowledged being the wounded knee massacre in 1890, within a decade, you would start to see these, these massive, um, again, riots, but massacres of black people, New York, Philadelphia, Tulsa, Chicago, every, every major city that had a, uh, a significant black population at some point in that er period between 1900 and 1920 would, would experience some tremendous backlash. And look, you know, they always try to bring those, those those massacres, those events down to some black man being accused of doing something to a white woman or something along those lines. But that's not what, what precipitated this stuff. It could be a simple thing. It could be a simple thing that would have caused those, those very, uh, uh, those, lynch, those lynch, those lynch mobs. I mean, it could be, you know, not stepping off the curb for a white person. It could be just, giving the appearance to a white person that, that somehow you'd gotten too uppity. 
And that word all by itself conjures up images of, uh, of a white person condemning a black person. Uppity. So, I mean, I think it's really important that, that, that not just on this day, but, but anytime a conversation comes up about Martin Luther King, it's, in, it's important that people don't lose focus and don't buy in to the, the watered down narrative that he was just a, you know, a kind, loving, look, you, you, you see the man and, and all the images and all the, the photos and, and everything else. And, and he does, he, he's got a benevolent look to him. I mean, he, he doesn't, he doesn't look for all the world, all the world that, that anger existed in him, but make no mistake about it. He was angered. He was angered by moderates that would tell people to be patient and wait for your season. But he was also angry at the violence, the violence of poverty, the violence of hunger, the violence of racism, and 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 again, the violence of of the military industrial complex. There were wars being fought because they had the weapons and they had the men to fight them, not because they were necessary. I mean, I can ask, I, I ask family members that I have, do you know why you went to Vietnam? And they don't, they don't. Regardless of what they did there, and, and I have, you know, some, some people who are pretty close to me who, who took lives in Vietnam and for the life of themselves, they, they can't tell you why they know why they know they were told to do it. It's kind of like these guys who came to the capital, uh, us capital last week. They were, they know they were told to do it, but this is, you know, look, this is really what, what King was condemning. He was condemning the military industrial complex and the violence associated. I mean, look, clearly he was against the Vietnam War. But it was bigger than just the idea of the Vietnam War. I mean, and look, think about it now. I mean, when you, when you think, think about wars being waged to stop communism, to stop an ideology. See, now everything's always talking about well, trying to stop terrorism. Where, you know, where there's not even, it's hard to even wrap your hands around who the, who the enemy is. But in, you know, Korea and in, in Vietnam and in, you know, mil military actions, every place from, from South and Central America to, you know, other places around the world, there was, there was a real effort to kill a, uh, you know, a, a political system that the United States simply didn't agree with. That was grounds for, for killing people. Now, look, I'm not saying that that every system of government doesn't have its uh, its its evil you know masterminds behind it, whether it's communism, whether it's U.S. democracy, because it does. Look, there there are people, uh, and look, even so-called democracies, uh, and this this last four years can prove that can produce authoritarian leaders, and does produce authoritarian leaders. And the United States picks and chooses who are the good ones and who are the bad ones. And look, it doesn't even have to be democracies for the United States to embrace some of these authoritarian leaders, the ones that, that kill their own people, that suppress you know, um, uh, you know, any, any kind of you know, dissenting thought. And this was what King condemned. He condemned the United States building up to be essentially what is now you know, the single most powerful 
um, military uh, complex in, in the world. And, and, and look, I'm, I'm sure China and Russia will, will try to debate some of that. But, I mean, I think people, you know, Americans take pride. The very thing that King condemned, the vast majority of Americans are proud that United, the United States is this huge military power. All right, hey, we, uh, we're at the bottom of the hour. We'll take a break, and we'll come right back. I, I, I want to I kick this a little bit more, so we'll do it when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Thanks for coming back. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because when, when MLK Day arrives and, and we start to you know, pay particular interest in, in his words, in, you know, in some of what he wrote, in some of what he spoke and, and that kind of stuff, and you put it into today's context. I mean, I, like I said, I used you know, the, that, that excerpt from his letter from Birmingham in, in an email to the uh, my high school, my old high school's uh, board of education. And part of it is, is it resonated so strongly w- with me because I get the sense that, that they're, they're trying to keep the community from becoming divisive over the issue, which is impossible. I mean, you can't have a debate over something, over a race-based mascot that's existed for this long. I mean, keep in mind, 20 years ago, so in, 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 in 2001, and it'll be 20 years this year, the the state gave a directive to to high schools, to schools, and said, "Look, if you've got them, you've got to move towards um, towards removing them in, in in a practicable time. You, you you've got to you've got to get rid of them." And that's what they said. They didn't, you know, they didn't say, you know, give a deadline. They said they had to do it in what would be a practical period of time that was 20 years ago now in 2001 a bunch of schools did change them almost immediately and you know and of course we've been we've seen over the the years you know schools and and uh, you know the ncaa has done done a lot to you know you know to to end the use of uh, uh, native race based but native specifically native mascots but new york state told the school specifically and and all the all your conversation about honoring native people don't feel honored. I mean, the state told the schools this. They told them what we told them that no, we are not honored by you know, by schools using native mascots. So twenty years later, there are schools that are st- that are still dug in, and of course, most of them just buried it. They, they they felt like they dodged a bullet twenty years ago, so they didn't use their time to massage the community and, and prepare them for, for a change you know, if, if that was even doable. So when I go back to my, my old high school and raise some hell about it and say, look, 
I graduated from here. And while I was not mistreated as a native person, this practice is racist. I'm not calling you all racist, but if you want to keep defending it, if you want to keep prolonging, you've, you've kicked it for 20 years since the state told you to change it. So when I hear, you know, when I reread, you know, you, again, it's, it's unfortunate that many of us only read, you know, some of King's work, you know, once a year. But as I read this and I'm thinking, you know, this, you know, when, he, when he's condemning the white moderates, look, Cambridge is white people. I'm not saying there are a few people of color there. I think, you know, there's, I, but I think it was like 93 or not. Yeah. Something like 94% white. And the, I think the native people represented like one tenth of 1% or something like that or, or something, you know, some minuscule amount. So the few people of color there, look, they're just trying to get along. And they're they're not outspoken. The the outspoken people in in Cambridge are 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 white people. And and those are the people who are you know striving for social justice issues and asking for for you know racial equity trainings in the schools and that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying there's not a few you know people of color involved in them. But if you've gotten comfortable in a community, and and especially if you moved there and you're not from there originally and you've been able to establish relationships amongst the predominantly white community, you're not going to disrupt that. I mean, some will. Some will be, you know, bold enough to do that, but many won't. So when I read the letter from Birmingham and, and I see the, you know, King's harsh comments about, you know, the biggest obstacle, the biggest stumbling block to freedom, it's not the white supremacists. It's not, it's not the, the, the Klan members. It's not these white citizens councils. No. It's the moderates. It's the ones who are just saying, oh, be patient. You know, we're, we're going to come up with a way. Look, we know we have to change the mascot. We know that it's racist. But we don't want to tear the community apart. <laughs> What's King Simon? You, 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 want, <laughs> you want to delay this thing because you're, you're, you're more concerned about the tensions that exist or that, that, that may arise in in, in the pursuit of justice. You're more concerned about order than justice. Well, look, even the people who I feel strongly about in, in, you know, on, the, on the school board in my old high school, who I know if, if, they, cast, if they had to vote today would vote to end the, the, the mask, even, even the people that I think are on our side, they're really, really concerned about the dissension in the community. And look, King's comment was that he was concerned about the white moderates who are more concerned about order than justice. I'm not saying that order doesn't, you know, trying to maintain peace doesn't have a have value. But you can't be so committed to maintaining peace or the absence of tension, as, as King calls it, that you allow injustice to continue. So this is when I get jazzed up. When I, when I realize that you know, the, the thoughts that, that are coming into my mind based on the, the circumstances today are not new. And, you know, <laughs> you, know what, you know, John Lennon suggested, you know, there's nothing you can do that wasn't, hasn't been done, right? The question is, where do you take the next step? And, and I think without trying to turn away the white moderates, we have to, we have to tell them, that their behavior is unacceptable. 
and that their behavior, look, I can deal with the overt racist. Like I said, I've, I've said it before here on the show. The guy who's got the Trump flags hanging up there and the Confederate flags hanging off of his tree, I can just, I, I can avoid that person. And, and I know that person is probably not going to have a whole lot of influence over him because if he does do something like, I mean, becomes a, a, a person of influence in a community, some of that stuff can be held against them. So, you know, but it's, it's the moderates. It's the ones who are so concerned about their, their station in life. They're standing in a community that they don't tell you how, how they really feel. It just kind of slips out every once in a while. So they'll give you the impression that, oh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But, but uh, we, we can't deal with it that way. You know, so they'll give you a, a thousand reasons why you, don't, why you don't confront an injustice. And none of those reasons are because it's, is because it's just. They'll say, no, yeah, it's, but it's always been like this, so it's, so it's hard to change. We, look, that's, that's the argument. We get that for a lot of things. Not, I'm not just talking about mascots here. We hear this all the time. But, and, and the fact of the matter is <laughs> that racism is still the, one of the driving forces behind inequities in the United States. You know, slavery was ended in the 1860s, and yet racism still is the driving force behind it you know behind the inequities and everything from from the income disparity poverty you know um uh, housing you know opportunities work and employment all of that stuff like i said <laughs> if you don't think that 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 there's gender inequality you just do a roll call of uh you know of, of the House of Representatives in the Senate. If you don't think that that race and racism is you know is a driving force, then then do a roll call of the of the people in the House of Representatives or the Senate. I mean, pick up your color chart, hold it up to the faces if that's what you got to do, because that's going to give you a pretty indica- pretty good indication. And and it's not just here. I've, I've mentioned this before. I mean, I was I was appalled when I realized how white the Parliament of Brazil was. I mean, a, a country that has that's predominantly black and and uh, and and brown, but their Parliament's not. And in in all of these countries, especially when you see the United States, when uh, their their disposition towards a uh, towards a leader of, of you know, especially in South America. They're always going to be more accommodating to those who are educated in the United States, those who have a lighter complexion, whether it's in Venezuela, whether it's in Bolivia, whether, you know, no matter where it's at, you know, Mexico, the, the whiter those leaders are and the more affinity they've shown towards the United States, the, the more the United States will, will do what they can and everything from, from coups coup attempts, uh, sanctions, everything, whatever they've got to do to support those kinds of leaders. It doesn't matter how authoritarian they are. In fact, the more authoritarian, the better as far as the United States is concerned because they look at authoritarian leaders in other countries as, um, as, as stability. And that goes for the Middle East and, and, and it goes for, for, you know, for South America. You know, well, Europe and Africa too. Why, why leave anybody out? And... And again, when you consider the the omnipresence of the United States military every place, the very thing that, that King condemned, I mean, look, 
King could, I don't even know if, if he could have anticipated how omnipresent the United States military would be. I mean, he was speaking in, in the 1960s. What the United States military has grown into now, I, uh, you know, the, the number of countries that have U.S. military bases w- with, with, with troops on the ground there. The, the military presence in, in uh, well, over 70 other countries, I think it is. I mean, it's, it's rather incredible. Any other country that would have spread its military around the, the globe the way the United States is, the United States would have called that aggression. But because it's the United States, everybody says, well, the United States is only goodness. They're, they're, you know, white is right, you know? So this is, and, and this is why Americans believe that they can do no evil and they can do no wrong. It's, you know, they think, they think nothing of, of, of having military bases in, in countries that don't want you there, including Cuba. I mean, and so this is that, that the very military industrial complex that, that Dr. King um, spoke out against. You know, Donald Trump literally said, you know, and, and, and I, and I know it's a quote because I heard, heard the words. It wasn't just written someplace. He said, you know, if, if you're not going to use them, what's the sense of having them? And he was referring to nuclear weapons. I mean, and, and, and the crazy part is this is the guy who will brag now about being the only president in, you know, in, in, in recent memory that, uh, that did not engage, you know, did not start a war. Well, I'll, I'll give him that. But this kind of, you know, part of the reason, you know, maybe because people thought he was just so crazy that, you know, that there was an avoidance to, uh, you know, to, you know, the military com- conflict. Now, don't don't get me wrong. There were still plenty of people being killed by Americans during Trump's administration, including an assassination of, of a, a military leader, you know, of, uh, um, uh, of Iran. So, I mean, yeah, there may not have been any added new uh, new wars, as they say. But every president of the United States has used their military industrial complex to further national interests, including killing people and innocent people. Look, Barack Obama, famous for the drone strike. That, I mean, he killed more people, you know, you know, in the same manner as a video game than any president in history, including Donald Trump. Of course, he had eight years to do it. But, but this is... There's blood on every one of these guys' hands. And this is why King was so opposed to it. He, he, he was opposed to his idea that, that, um, that the United States had carte blanche to, to kill people. And clearly, clearly they do. I mean, the assassination of, uh, you know, of the military leader from Iran that, uh, that Trump you know, still brags about. Why did he do it? Because he could. And and there was no I mean, there was no real um, cost to it to him. You know, this becomes one of his bragging points. If if anything, he, he you know he gained you know some you know he, he gained even even more support from places like Israel. But this is you know, and, and that's why the military was such a was such a condemnable um, uh, feature of the United States. You know, to to somebody like like Dr. King. And and again, capitalism. You know, I uh, along with with some a few other native people, we we begun uh, begun being 
participating in the, um, the the poor people's campaign. And there's actually, although Native people kind of rejected some of that, you know, um, not during King's uh, efforts, but in efforts after King, because of the way it was managed. Native people now in various places have stepped up. And, and so we have like a, a native contingent of the, of the poor people's campaign. I participated in a couple of events. You know, I, I'm still, you know, I, I still get concerned about, uh, about how, um, how poverty is addressed. And, and of course the solution to poverty isn't just, isn't just money. I mean, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but that's true. You know, we, you know, we do need resources to address poverty. There's no question about that. But there has to be, there has to be systemic changes. You know, poverty just didn't happen to to black and brown people. It was, the poverty was, was, was created. It was created by policy. Native people knew how to, we knew how to take care of ourselves. We knew how to sustain ourselves until all of those means for sustenance were taken away in, in land, especially, but we became, you know, you know, there was an effort to make us wards of the state. in fact, there's, you know, the Paul Gozer is one of his famous quotes from a couple of years ago, a Republican Congressman said native people are wards of the state. They tried to make us wards of the state. Just like they tried to force us into U.S. citizenship. And by creating, you know, an unsustainable existence on our territories, then you then you, you get the nerve to hear some of these politicians say, well, the, the worst thing we ever did was allow the establishment of reservations. For one thing, these are the small parcels of land that we managed to hang on to during the land theft and, and uh, you know, centuries of land theft from Native people. And so when the United States says they, they created these environments for us, well, you created the policies that made our existence unsustainable. And it's not just us. I mean, it's the same thing that exists in, in inner cities for, you know, for uh, urban populations. And look, there are a lot of, there's a lot of poor, poor, poor white people in the South and in other places. In, in, and again, in every urban urban environment, there's a lot of white people who are living well below the poverty line too. But as much as they're dismissed and and ignored by the powers that be, they still hang on to this this idea of whiteness, believing that they you know they're just you know one ounce of dumb luck away from being you know being successful even in the eyes of other white people. But capitalism is, is, you know, is the ugly beast that has created so much of this, you know, the, this inequity. And, you know, look, the United States brags about democracy and they brag about free market. And I've talked about this on a, on a previous show. But neither one of those things you know, are, do anything for, for poor people. Yeah, and... So the whole systems are geared towards making the rich richer. And who do they make who do they, who do they get rich on the backs of? Cheap unsustainable labor and consumerism. We not only give them the sweat to produce for them, 
We give them the hard-earned dollars we made for that sweat. We, we turn around and give it right back to them for the, for, for the crap that God is making. I mean, that's, that's capitalism. That's the free market that is so directly uh, you know, connected to this American ideal, this American idea of democracy. Democracy is freedom. Capitalism is freedom. No, it isn't. And, and I've said it before. Democracy is majority rule. And it's who within that majority will rule. So if the majority is white, it's going to be white people ruling stuff. And those white people are also the people who are not just ruling the country, they're ruling the economy, they're ruling the, you know, the, the information technology, all of it. King had no idea. Man, I, he would have had a, a field day with, uh, with information technology, not just media. I mean, his, his life you know, was only begun to be captured by media in the, in the 60s. But to, to, I mean, to, to see how racism and conspiracy theory and false narratives associated with everything that is, that is condemnable in the United States, including racism, capitalism, and militarism. I mean, look, every major news network falls over themselves on Veterans Day and Memorial Day and all of these, you know, these holidays that are meant to romanticize war, death, and destruction. Hollywood loves it. You know, greatest block best blockbuster films are uh, always involve um, massive amount of death. And you know, look, and and, and a lot of it's historical in nature, and it's romanticized in, in, in the telling of history. And when they get done telling that story, they'll make up new, they'll make up new conflicts for the future. <laughs> that, but again, this idea that. We, we all become, you know, bit players in, in both, you know, capitalism and, and the military industrial complex. Look, Native people enlist in the military at a higher rate than any other people in, in the United States. I, 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 as a rate, I'm saying, I'm talking. There's still more white people in the, in the military than, than, than people of color. But the enlistment rate amongst, against Native people is really high compared to everybody else. Black people, too. I mean, and, and so why is that? What drives a native person to want to enlist in the military or, or a person of color? And don't, don't give me this, this warrior you know, mentality or, you know, or legacy or whatever else. It's poverty. It's the lack of opportunity. And, and look, that's how it's marketed on, on television, radio, all that stuff. They market this idea that you're going to see the world. You know, army of one. They, they, they romanticize, they romanticize it to get you in and then you're used. And like, as I was saying in the, in the first half hour, when you really get used and, and when I say used, I, I mean, not just as, you know, personnel, but in terms of pulling the trigger, whether you're playing, playing joysticks and, and killing people with a drone or whether your boots on the ground. I don't know how people reconcile that. And, and maybe it's, frankly, maybe it's better they don't. You know, but unfortunately, this all adds to some of what I always refer to as cognitive dissonance. Look, man is the only species that kills 
for vengeance or out of, you know, that, that doesn't kill purely out of necessity. Now, I'm not saying that you know, the other animals don't, don't kill each other. And, and oftentimes it's about, you know, uh, food, you know, or, or defending their, you know, the young and that kind of stuff. But man's the only species that, that kills out of vengeance and, and kills specifically for, um, for financial gain. And, you know, and to be clear here, wars are fought over national interests. Almost all of those national interests are driven by money. They're di driven by resources. That's why wars are fought. You know, all of the, the Middle Eastern conflicts, those, it's, it's not a stretch to call them the oil wars. And, and the, the, a lot of the, 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 uh, the death and destruction that Native people experienced, that was all over taking land, resources, gold rush, all that stuff. We were killed for profit and for profiteering. That's what Native people were killed for. And if and you don't have to, you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to get there. I mean, call it what it is. We were killed for for profit. You know, sometimes we were killed for just for you know for a bounty for our scalps. But the reason that that those deaths were willed upon us was to take our land, to take our resources. And it's the same driving force behind conflicts today. It's, it's about national interest. But the average person who enlists native, black, you know, brown, white, they don't know why, why somebody is their enemy. They're told who the enemy is. They're used. And they're used up. And, and I'll tell you, it doesn't take, you, know, you don't have to look too deeply to see how poorly veterans have been treated, especially veterans of foreign wars, the ones who the ones who are carrying the guilt and the PTSD and that cognitive dissonance. They don't they don't get the, the help they needed. That's why suicide rates amongst uh, amongst veterans are, uh, and homeless rates are, are among the highest in the in the United States. Why? Because that is the military industrial complex. I mean, it's it's an engine that that brings in raw material and, and spits out refuse. So who is the refuse? It's not just the dead, it's the living. It's the casualties of war. And those casualties of war aren't just the ones who were shot. The casualties of those wars are the ones who have been used and used up. That is what Martin Luther King spoke out against. Again, the three enemies that he identified, militarism, capitalism, and racism. And the fact that we are still fighting that fight and, and, and frankly, losing some of these battles. Capitalism is bigger than it ever was, bigger than King's time. Militarism is bigger than King's time. We can argue about whether racism is or not. And I don't think, we're, I don't think we've won that war either. So that long arc of, of, of morality, it might bend towards, towards justice, but there's a, there's a, a term in... I think in math called uh, isomtope or something like that. It refers to two lines that that they're they're are approaching each other but they never touch. I don't know that that arc of morality ever ever reaches justice or not. Nice thought, and I think we got to keep trying to bend that you know keep that arc moving that way. 
I guess we'll see if we get there. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I wish you a belated happy MLK Day. We'll see you next time. This is John Gaines. Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.